You're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello. Welcome to She Became Visible. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a special guest and I'm excited to introduce her. I'm waiting for my co-hosts to um, join us. So I don't know where they are, but we'll find them at some point. Um, I think we have a really important um, subject to talk about today. And it is why people stay in abusive relationships. And I am specifically targeting why women stay in the LDS church, especially with the knowledge that is out there, the systematic programs that are set up. And it's, and I, I love the information that's out there as far as confirmation biases, but we're going to talk a little bit about what exactly is emotional abuse because I'm not talking about physical abuse, because though there is physical abuse in the system of the Latter-day Saint Church, uh, it's very rare. I'm not talking about sexual abuse. Uh, sexual abuse is, uh, is I, don't, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's, it, it's there. It's, it's being brought out into the public. It's being uh, very made aware of. It's a source for a lot of um, animosity right now because it is becoming more um, clear and it's more prevalent than I think people want to admit. But we're not talking about sexual abuse. We're not talking about physical abuse. We're talking about emotional abuse today. And what I want to do is compare emotional abuse in the world to the emotional abuse that you find or maybe have been a subject of in the LDS church. Now, let me make something clear. I want to issue a warning because this is not necessarily a safe space today for people who have experienced emotional abuse in the church and they are in the process of deconstructing and they are in the process of healing. And this subject might bring up a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings because we're going to touch on some of the things that would be considered emotional abuse. So that's just a heads up, just for those of you that have are going through the healing process. I don't want to be the one that triggers a, a um, any kind of an emotional reaction. So I'm just giving you that heads up. Um, it, it may not, it's not necessarily a safe space to land today. 
but we're trying to find uh, information. We're trying to give people an awareness of what exactly emotional abuse is. So just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. So today um, I will introduce my guest after I introduce our subject, if you don't mind. That's what I'm going to be doing today. So why get out of the way, piece of paper? Okay. So why do emotionally and physically abused people stay in abusive relationships. Many of you outside of the church may have friends, family members, um, people that you went to school with, old college friends that you've been made aware of that they are in an abusive relationship and yet they're staying. And you might just be shaking your head. You're absolutely confused. I have a family member that is in an abusive relationship um, she acknowledges that she's in an abusive relationship. She wants out, she says. Verbally, she says, these are the, I, I want out, but then she doesn't do anything about it. And she's got a backup community. She's got people who would support her, but she doesn't leave. And it's confusing. But yet I don't, I can't judge because I'm not in an abusive situation. Um, I don't know what I would do. You, people think, there's a psychological term for it, and I wish I would have thought of this before to find the actual term, but there's a term for what you think you would do in a situation versus what you actually end up doing. How you think if you lived in a previous era and you saw, um, if you were in the South during the heyday of slavery, you would be like, I would never have slaves. I would never do that. And the reality is you don't know what you would do. Uh, for example, they give, they talk about uh, part of this reaction as if you were to see somebody being um, some, you know, some kind of attack on the street, would you be the one that ran in to help them? And everyone says, yes, I would. I would run in there and I would defend that poor victim. And then the reality is you probably wouldn't. So there's a term for it and I don't know exactly what it is, but how do relationships in a community or an organization compare to familial abuse? That's what we're kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so many, uh, many wonder why women, uh, especially today, uh, are in an unhappy and a toxic relationship with a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a partner um, that is supposed to love and care for you. Why would you stay in that relationship? But even more complex is why women stay in a toxic, misogynistic, and oppressive organization and that they possibly could easily escape from why do they stay but is it easy can they easily get out of an organization many outside of demanding religions just change congregations or parishes you may have no you know you may know people that belong to a um uh, a, a Protestant um, mainline Christian church. And when they don't like the pastor, they just change. They go over to uh, they go over to the other church across the street or whatever. It's no big deal. Um, but if you're in a fundamental or an evangelistic religion, it's not that easy. And I listened uh, recently. Um, I would highly suggest you all go and listen to latter gay stories uh, they, uh, Kyle just interviewed the naked pastor. He talks about how toxic and hard it was for him to leave his Christian religion. He was a pastor and how he lost his income. He lost his community 
he and his wife uh, struggled. They had to do a lot of soul searching to survive their marriage because of leaving this community. So I understand that it isn't that easy. Uh, what I have learned is that leaving a belief system is uh, that is very indoctrinating and soul sucking, especially like the Mormon church, um, is just as difficult as walking out of an abusive marriage or uh, especially if you have no employable skills or you're parenting children that are still in the home um, and you have no family support and you risk losing your roof overhead. And it's, um, it's unbelievable for some people outside of a fundamental or evangelistic religion to understand that, but it's true. One of the first things that I hear from people who are going through deconstruction is the story of their genealogy. In Mormonism, they'll say, I am a seven-generation Mormon. My four great-grandfathers hung out with Joseph Smith. This is a tribal association, and it's a class distinction that runs deep in the veins of Mormons that hail from a pioneer stock. And many stay in a relationship because they don't want to lose that pedigree. And the social status that the name gives you, um, if you happen to be a Kimball or a Smith or a Young or um, any of the other prevalent LDS um, dynasty type names, do you want to give that up? I mean, that's something that you have to think about. And if any of you are aware of the um, Housewives of New York, you might be familiar with Sonia Morgison. And Sonia is... Um, uh, she's a Morgan and she's divorced and she has nothing to do with the family whatsoever, but she has a daughter and the daughter has the bloodline and the bloodline gives her the pedigree to be a Morgan. She doesn't give up the name. Why doesn't she give up that name? Go back to the name. And um, I don't want to answer that. Okay. And anyway, so there's something about that pedigree that people are a little bit afraid to give up to. If she gave up the last name of Morgan and she lives in New York City in the Upper East Side, who would she be? I mean, it opens doors for her. And I, I believe that that is true even in the LDS church. It opens up doors. So in there is a book that I recently am starting to read. I, I watched a book review on it. And it was fabulous. It's called... Uh, White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. And she points out that if we think there is not class distinction in the U.S., we are wrong. And uh, being a multi-generational Mormon is also a form of a dynasty, and it creates a royal lineage. And nepotism is very strong in the leadership. We know in the Q15, there's a lot of nepotism. And but that all that that is also true in the genealogy that connects you to this organization. So even in the world, if you're a Kennedy, um, you you're not willing to give that up. And, you know, you're not willing to you're going to add names. Right. You're going to be a Maria Shriver, Maria Kennedy Shriver, uh, Schwarzenegger. I don't you know what I'm saying. So you're not going to give up that name because it connects you to that dynasty. So that is a number one thing that I hear when people who are in the process of deconstructing and they will say, um, I can't leave the church. I'm a seven generation Mormon. 
my uncle, my great, great grandfather was a bodyguard for Joseph Smith and blah, 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 you know, this kind of stuff. So there's a little bit of that. One of the reasons why people can't give up their lineage. Um, so I would say that just like political figures, that being a member of a uh, Mormon dynasty is very important. And, you know, we have to remember that, um, that Mormonism itself, the religion itself, prides itself in an elite status. So if you are a belong to the only one and true church and you have a genealogy with pioneers that cross the plains, is that something that, you, that, that you've grown up with? Are, is that something you really want to throw away? And then who are you? Who are you to the world? So I think that's a big hold. Um, uh, I think that we identify and we like being a member of the club. You know, if you are a member of the church and you happen to be in Disneyland and you see a man going walking around and you can see the nice little smile underneath his shirt, you go, oh, that's LDS. They belong to the club. They're one of us. And you could go right up to him and you could just be like, Wow, this is amazing. Like we're in the club, right? So people don't want to give that up. I mean, if you are um, if you're a temple recommend holder and you get to go into the castle, are you willing to give that up? I didn't for a year after I resigned or right before I resigned, before I sent in my membership, I went back to the, the temple one more time because I wanted to see what changes had been made in 2019. So there's a lot of people that don't want to give up that, uh, that little uh, free pass into heaven. So anyway, um, it's, it's very interesting. I have a mother-in-law that is directly related to Orson Hyde. She never missed a Daughters of Utah Pioneers meeting. She was very proud of her lineage with Orson Hyde. And that was a strong thing for her. So I understand it when I hear people say that. But anyway, so that's one of the things I hear from people that are not willing to deconstruct and completely leave and um, resign their membership from the church. Um, and the Mormon church is kind of the pinnacle of the prosperity gospel. And so there is an elitism in just being a member of the church, holding that special temple recommend, and also being a successful business person. That puts you right into the I'm on my way to heaven uh, pinnacle, and people are not willing to give that up. So that's also one of the, the problems that I've seen. Um, so anyway, we're going to be discussing today um, the, I think, tyrannical system that is set up in the LDS church. And my my guest today is, I'm going to introduce her as Ari. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Um, Ari is, um, are you ready? Are you sitting down? The mother of nine children. Nine children. And she's young. I mean, my generation, I, eight children, I have six, eight, I had a small family, so it was no big deal, but she's young and she has nine children. So, she, and she's an amazing runner too. I'll let her talk about that more. Um, she is, um, she was, uh, she opened up, she became verbal. She became visible about the abuse in her family. And she was, she did that because she really was trying to help a sister-in-law who was a, was a victim of domestic violence. And so she opened up about the abuse and she was trying to heal her family. And what happened was she got kicked out and there, they started a smear campaign against her and um, she, it, it caused her to have suicidal ideation. It, it was traumatic in, in her efforts to 
be a, an ally for her sister-in-law, she herself became a victim. And she says, in my discard, which is a narcissistic term of getting kicked out, I started to ask questions. My whole life, people had been discarded, aunts, uncles, brothers, and I wanted to know their stories. I soon found that I had lived a life full of lies. Then I started to question everything I had been taught, including the church. I gave myself permission to ask the questions and read the things that I was told not to. And I leaned and I learned that it was also just a lie. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I was raised in a cult, inside a cult, one big narcissistic family. So let's bring Ariana. We're going to talk a little bit about um, her life and her um, experiences with abuse. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm all right. All right. Very good. So um, Ari, as I mentioned, is the mother of nine and she does not live in a bubble. So those people are there. And we love that. We love that on this podcast, since this is a completely female oriented podcast. We love children walking around. We don't mind a dog barking now or then. We'll take a lawnmower even. So don't don't worry if there's if there's noise in the background, we don't mind. So Ari, thank you so much. One of the reasons why um, I love your Instagram. And one of the things that really like, whoa, that's exactly what I was going to say, was a post from an, a group of people who are members of the church of, of, you know, can I tell you, Ari, I can't say it. I cannot say members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or whatever else you want to tag along after Jesus Christ, because I think this organization is anything but a church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see any of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Even before I started to deconstruct, I would come home and complain to my poor, wonderful husband. And I would just say, could we talk about Jesus once? I mean, do we have to talk about tithing, the missionary program, uh, some other conference talk about a, a mission that somebody went on 55 years ago? Do I never hear anybody talk about Jesus Christ. And so, and I, I applaud the efforts of, of Dr. Nelson to bring Jesus Christ more into the narrative, but I don't see the actions or the doctrine being anything that has anything to do with Jesus Christ. Um, so I, I will use the word Mormon. I, uh, I, I'm okay with that term and I'm going to bring, look who joined us. Hey, Liz, how are you? Can you hear? Oh, Liz, I think you're muted girl. Let me, wait, can I do it? There you go. All right. Can I hear you? No, you have to unmute. Unmute. Let's try it. There we go. Are you there? No. What's happening? Unmute mic. I can't unmute your guest. The mic. Oh, your mic isn't connected. Okay. Let me see. I'll text her. Anyway, Ari, you start talking. Tell us a little bit about your story. Um, tell us about um, just kind of the timeline. I mean, here you are. Obviously, you're a mother of nine children because you are an active member of the of the Mormon Church, and that is the doctrine, and that is the uh, role that we were given. So, so uh, tell us a little bit how you went for. And I know, I know, I, I I like the story you talk about your husband. He wasn't really kind of applauded when you guys announced your engagement. It wasn't like yay. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So just let's just talk a little bit about your story. Wow. Well, I have, I have, I have quite a story, but um, I'll try to give you the cliff notes version really yeah. fast. But I'm yeah. a, yeah, I mean, I don't have pioneer stock 
really. I mean, I, I have, uh, my parents are both just kind of second, maybe third generation Mormons, okay. like kind of yeah. Utah Mormons, <laughs> you know, kind of born in the. So they were converts? Uh, no. My parents were not, but their parents were. Okay. So my okay. mom's parents, my mom's grandparents were. Okay. Um, but my dad's parents were. And so okay. I kind of was just, I'm kind of a transplant. I'm not one of those, but I'm one of 10 children. I'm the third oldest of 10 children. Oh my gosh. And so, um, and I, I did the thing. I multiplied and replenished the earth. Um, birth control was not legal in my family. <laughs> you know, it just was a no, no. You just, you let them come. Um, and, and I, and it wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say that that's a bad thing because I mm -hmm. love my children and I yeah. love being a sister. I love being, but all of those things are not bad things. Exactly. They just are part of, it, it's what we did. And it right. was, and it's part of, you know, just, and, and I, I wanted a big family, but I, nine, I didn't have a number, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a number. I mean, I did what I was told. I let them come, but yeah, I did. But I was, I was kind of a black sheep in the family, you mm -hmm. know, because I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a bite to me. I asked questions. I asked too many questions. Um, I would, snap back if my mom snapped at me kind of a thing you know mm -hmm. I was I was kind of like that and so I butt heads with her a lot um and but at the same time I I craved the her love mm -hmm. it was always a disconnect mm -hmm. um but I had a great relationship with my dad mm -hmm. um I did he was my hero um he was an athlete and I'm an athlete he was a college athlete I was a college athlete um it it, that was, you know, but it was growing up in that home was very hard. Um, I had it. My mother was very, she was physically, emotionally, um, spiritually abusive. Mm -hmm. um, I had the outside mom and the inside mom. Mm -hmm. I, I knew, like I loved the mom outside of the house because she was so likable. Mm -hmm. She was um, an actress. <laughs> she was a drama major. She was just this she had the outside persona down pat. People okay, like, let me introduce, uh, interrupt for a second. So literally she was an actress? I mean, she majored in drama and performed? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, that... When I was little, but like, that was her thing in college. Right, right. That was her thing, yeah. So that was her, and then, uh, you know, who's to say, but do you think that because she was an obedient uh, woman in mm -hmm. the church, 10 kids... You cannot do anything outside of 10 no. kids. Do you think that that turned her into maybe a little bit of the disgruntled um, person that she became because she couldn't be her ever? I think so. I think yeah. so. Um, because she always had dreams. She wanted to be a writer too. Oh. She had so many, so many dreams but I think she also had that disconnect where yeah. this is, this is the thing. This is what you do. Right. You have children, you stay home with your children. And yeah, I really, really do. Wow. Um, and so, and I can have sympathy. I can have empathy for her. And I even have some sympathy for her because sure. I, I started on that same path sure. as you can kind of see too. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. And I, but I kind of, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the world as black and white the way I was taught. You know, mm -hmm. I, I dated, you know, my husband did not serve a mission. 
And that was, and then LDS, and that's, that's the thing that you do as a, as a young man. But I met him in college and we were on the same cross country and track team. And he was a little bit older than me. Um, and I just, I didn't see that as a big deal, but it was right. in my family. It was, oh my goodness, that was the worst. I mean, next to what's happening right now with me, that was my worst. So even though he was a member of the church, mm -hmm. He was choosing to get his education mm -hmm. and pursue his his uh, athletic abilities instead of going on a mission, and that was all that that was across cross that guy off the list. Yeah, he was a virgin. Oh <laughs> you know, gosh. he wasn't. He he just made a different choice. Like, great guy, great, great guy. Some of the prophets yeah. never went on missions. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he didn't. And to be honest, like I dated so, like members in high school, and they were very, very. They pursued me quite a bit physically and all those things. And my husband mm. he took me. He took so long to kiss me. He was so shy and so reserved, <laughs> <laughs> and all of those things. And so yeah. I mean, he just but he just he chose a different path. Yeah, a little preview of coming attractions, right? You knew, like, well, this is going to be a problem if that's a big deal. Oh, right? that, that was the first, I would say the first discard for me. And, and yeah. I married him at 18. I, I was married at 18. Yowza. Yeah. The year after. I, but I did finish college, but um, he. Now, did you guys get married in the temple? Uh-huh. that? Did they come around? At that time, it took a little. No, it took a couple of years. <gasps> no. Yeah, no, they fought till the minutes before, minutes before the marriage. Just because he didn't serve a mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Like Liz says, good thing he wasn't around in World War II, right? Or the Korean War. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. So that was that. But the thing is, you know, I, even though I, I knew in my heart how bad it was. I mean, my, yeah. My, the whole engagement was awful. Um, just, mm -hmm. um, I mean, my mom got a copy of my patriarchal blessing from church headquarters and sent it to me. And in there it says that I needed to heed to the counsel of my parents. She, she gave that to me as she weaponized that blessing by saying, you need to obey us. Oh, and, and wow. it was just very, um, it was awful. It was awful, awful, awful. I had to fight, fight, fight to marry a man who didn't serve a mission. Did it say anything in the patriarchal blessing that you would marry or return missionary? No. Okay, good. But you should be obedient. Here you are 18 yeah, years old. He to yeah. the counsel of my parents. Yeah. That's what it says. And, and so, um, but yeah, I, the, even though, I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot in my whole engagement, but I thought it was my fault because the whole time and you talk of your, I mean, what your introduction to this was talking about why do people stay in abusive relationships? Mm -hmm. It was really because it was always turned on me. I was not faithful enough. I was the bad girl. I was the one who fought. Um, I was the one who just wasn't obedient enough. And, and so, but I, and I internalized that I believed that mm -hmm. I really, really did. Even right. though I loved my husband and I really didn't think that there was that, it was bad that he didn't serve a mission. I was bad because I chose this. And this was the path. This was, I was going to reap the, um, whatever came of that, which yeah, was consequences. Be, yeah. The consequences yeah. of that. And, and it was my fault. And so I spent the next 20 years. 
Which you hear that. I mean, you hear that in, in abusive relationships where the, the women are told, well, you know, you're the one that made me angry. I had, I hit you because you made me angry or I'm not letting you go, you know, be with your family because look what they do to you. They, they make you start questioning our love and our marriage. And so that's very typical. So it was the same thing with your parents. It's like, no, you, and here I even have a, I have a document from God, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the day of my wedding pictures, um, I, I had a friend, she, I had one person throw me a, I, I wasn't, growing up in a narcissistic family, you don't, aren't able to form bonds with a lot of people because your bond is to the family. And so I didn't have a lot of friends, but I had one friend who threw me a bridal shower and my mom mm. hated that friend <gasps> and hated her. So there was nothing, my mom, anyone I got close to, my mom would bad mouth. And, and so I knew that I couldn't have, I I couldn't have close relationships and I didn't, um, but I had one friend and, and she did my hair and everything. And I was just, oh it started goodness. out so nice. It started yeah. out like such a nice day. And then I went back to my parents' house and my mom was livid. She was mad that I didn't let her do my hair. And she didn't tell me that she didn't, that she wanted to do my hair. I was supposed right. to know this, right. but she came after me and she tried to hit me. <gasps> and I, I moved away from, I just, I, I walked, she, she, instead of hitting me, she fell forward. She fell, um, she fell on the ground and she played dead. <gasps> she pretended she was dead. She laid there for a good little while. And, and I went to rescue her. I said, what happened? Cause here I thought it was my fault. I had made her right. so mad that she had to hit me. And, and then she came to, or whatever, she came out of her, her performance or whatever. And she said, she said, I've been fasting for you. I've been, I'm so weak. I've been fasting for you. And that's why I had, that's why I fell down. Wow. And, and then she refused to take me to get my pictures taken. And then I had my wedding dress in my arms and, and I went out, I didn't, you know, I was in a war zone. Cause I had my older sister was there. My younger sister was there. I had a brother who was there and they were all ganging up against me. They had, and I walked out the back door cause I had nowhere to go. And my younger sister hit me. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And so, but that I ended up walking half the way, you know, part of the way to get my withholding my wedding dress and my mom speeds up and in her car and she says, get in the car. You look like an idiot. And, and this is your wedding day. This was the my the day of my wedding pictures. Okay, all right. And so I'm crying in those pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but she hangs that picture on the wall because it looks good, and and there's nothing talked about what happened in the, on that day. But again, it's been communicated that that was my fault. I didn't let her do my hair, and I didn't marry a man or served her mission. And she was fasting for me, and she was too weak. Wow. So that's kind of a, that's insane. That's, okay. I don't think I've ever heard a story that, that completely, uh, you know, visually now, if anyone's wondering what an abusive narcissistic relationship looks like, I think you've just created a visual um, that I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. But, and I think what you said is very interesting, which is the, um, they don't want anybody else in, 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 in the, in your life mm -hmm. and um, friends, children uh, did she ever act like that with your children because i've had that experience where um my mother resented my children 
because they, it wasn't her. It took me away from her and I couldn't give her the attention that she thinks she deserved because I was in love with these little babies that I had and she was jealous of them. Um, it, it, narcissism is so it, weird, but you know, it, it, I, I think probably a lot of people can relate, but that's a, that's amazing. The, the physical abuse and the emotional abuse, um, verbal abuse, just all one little package. So yeah. can I ask a question real quick? Yes, Hi. please, Trish. Yeah. Well, hey, welcome. Sorry, I was late. No um, problem. So I was, I was just wondering, um, because you were talking about that it, it was all about him not serving a mission. Uh -huh. Was there anything said about you being young? Like mm. No. And that was the crazy thing. I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> good was, question, that wasn't Trish. The fight. That was not the fight at all. Um, no. It wasn't. Yeah, I wondered that because in the LDS religion, it's so like getting married young is so common right. that, you know, I, I didn't think they would care about that. But like, that's the one thing that would have stressed me out as a mom. <laughs> it's just the no, young that wasn't not said not once, not once. Um, There's so many things that are passed down generationally that I can see in Mormon culture, clear back from when Joseph Smith first started, that being, you know, young wives oh, the, yeah, the age, being yeah. one of them. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's interesting. There's all these other things that we should be concerned about or that right. needed to be addressed. But we were in Mormon culture, you're, I, you're still raised to stay enclosed in that community. Right. You're capsulized in this community and we don't know any better. Right. There's, there's no way to uh, address or confront or get out or cause we, you know, I've done things that I didn't even know I could do differently. Right. It's a system. We're in the system. Mm -hmm. So, so Andrew, that's a good great so question. So Ari, um, when, as you and your husband, I didn't hear the beginning of the story, so I'm sorry, but um, did you have a good relationship with your husband or did that turn into another? Oh, we're still married. We've been married for 21 years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I, I, awesome. Well, yeah. And, and it's, you know, things are going good, you know, and the thing is like, I couldn't have changed, like getting married at 18, I'm not going to recommend it for my children honestly yeah. honestly yeah. That's not, yeah. there's right. so much life to live but at the same time and I wasn't looking to get married right. I wasn't I was um I was a d1 scholarship athlete I was you know I had my schooling paid for I wasn't looking for that but when it came along and I found him you know and it, it just I yeah. think it honestly even saved me too yeah it took yeah. me out of that for yeah. you know x amount of years and he's been he's been great he's he no i i picked so a good one at 18. <laughs> you said you finished your education so mm -hmm. did you hold off having children until after you graduated and that was another thing that was yeah no so yeah yes and no so my um that my mom said that i would i was not to get married unless i was ready to have children oh. and that was something that I, I was a total rebel in that because I, I couldn't, my scholarship was an athletic one. And so I, there was no way. And so that was my get out of jail free card was uh -huh. I was able to 
say, well, no, I can't. I cannot. Yeah. And, and she wanted me to finish my education because she didn't get to finish her education. Okay. She yeah. did not. And so that was a big thing. And so that I, I finished my education, but the second I could have a children, a child, I did. Like, so I was pregnant. You know, I had him like the my oldest son, the June after I graduated. Right. And so and, I didn't. And your kids are close too, aren't mm -hmm. they? Yep, yeah. I had eight. I had nine kids in fifteen years, and so <laughs> yeah. I was telling I her Liz, no twins. <laughs> yeah, I was telling her Liz that that she has nine. You have eight, right? Trish, I can't remember four. I have four. Four, yeah. So it goes nine, eight, six, four. It's like <laughs> well, and so my husband good was not girls. a member of the church, and yeah. his his family thought that four was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. Actually, I'm not even a good Mormon. So <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we do our best, but what are you going to do? Yeah. That is that is amazing. So okay, so Ari, so talk a little bit about, um, like you said, the, the the you you must have just absorbed the abuse that you were that you were getting. You just it was it was your life. It was the mm -hmm. soup you were swimming in. Mm -hmm. But what was it about your sister-in-law that made you finally go? I'm done with this. Okay. So, well, this was in May, 2021. So, um, not that long ago. She, no. And, um, she was only married to my younger brother for a year. And it was strange enough because I had two brothers get divorced within the space of a couple of months from, oh. you know, and they were only married a short amount of time. The first one, the first one who got divorced, actually his, his, he divorced his wife because she left the church. And that sent me on a like, no, that's not okay. You can't do that. You can't leave yeah. somebody. But in my family, we were told to block her. We were oh, told wow. block her. She's bad. And I was like, no, I like her. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kick somebody when they're already down. Mm. And she also, she was struggling with infertility. Oh. And and that sent her on her faith, faith journey out of the church. Um, when she found out some things. And so I was already on this, like, okay, I'm asking some questions. And then this next sister-in-law, she, um, she confided in me some abuse um, um, that she was experiencing with my brother. Mm. And I just, I, it was emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. Mm. I'll just, and it started right away. And um, I, I listened to her, like, I mean, I'm an empath. I don't know. Like, I just, I let people have their stories. I'm also a journalist. I'm mm. used to listening to people mm. and let them tell their stories. And I'm, I'm not usually one that is used to having questions be turned on me. Right. And so toward the end of that conversation with her, she asked me if there was abuse in my family. Oh. She said, you know, and, and that was like, that was one of those things. I, I, I describe it as like the whole world cracked for me. Right. Like because that. because when she said that, had you never really looked at it as a generational trauma that was being, you know, passed down? Did you did, you never saw that? You just I thought, never saw it. I never saw it because I thought it was my fault. Oh, because okay. that's what and you were so, gaslighted into thinking. Yeah, I. You know, I had been asked that question before, honestly, and this is my story is like splits off in so many different directions. But I have I have a sister who, who took her life <gasps> in oh. 2006. Yeah. And um, my she 
my husband, my, my parents blamed her husband for her, for her death. For her unhappiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always, bla- it's always everybody else's fault. I'm so it's sorry. Not mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And, and I was asked that same question um, by her, the, the mother of her children now, because she found some journals of my sisters and, and she asked me one day, she said, was there abuse in your family? And I said, no, because I was so afraid that my sister had written about me that, and I was so afraid that like, she would find out that I was bad, that sorry. Then I was like, no, there wasn't because I was just, I was protecting my own ego. I was like, no, no, it was because I was the bad one. And it wasn't my family. And then, so when the sister. So you, you literally took the blame for your family and said, no, I was, I was the black sheep Mm -hmm. and I caused a lot of problems in the family because of my disobedience. Mm -hmm. Um, So if there was any anger or any violence at all, it was my fault. That's Mm -hmm. you took that on. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It was my fault. And that's what I believed Mm -hmm. anyway for my entire life. (laughs) You know, I knew it. I didn't, I was, I knew I was afraid at home, mm-hmm. but I knew I, you know, you just grew up thinking, okay, as long as I'm good, as long as I am the one, as long as I try to keep the peace, then the peace will be good because, because I'm the one causing all of the problems. Wow. And so, um, so I said no that first time, but then the next time when my sister-in-law asked, it was like, now it's not me. Like it was just like, it's happening to somebody else. And, and it was like, I had a split second to say, um, to either make her feel crazy and blame herself. Like I had my entire life Mm -hmm. or say, or acknowledge the abuse. Right. And I acknowledged the abuse and, and I said, but I said, my, cause she asked me specifically if my dad was abusive and I said, no, but my mom was very hard. That's all I said. Like that was mm. all I dared to say. I did not go into any detail. And and when you grow up in a narcissistic family, like in this type of family, you are, it's your parents are God. They're all seeing. They're everywhere, and you feel mm. like the air has ears. You know. Mm. And I was mm. terrified. I said it out loud, and I was mm. like, "They're going to find out. They have their way. They're going to find out that I said it." And so and in order to in order to protect myself, I went and I talked to my dad and I wanted to help our family. And I I just I told him what I knew and I told him a little bit more because as a child, I tried to tell my dad about the abuse of my mom. And he would always say, no, I will always defend my wife. And he'd always say no. And, and all of these things. And I finally, as an adult, I um, are you guys still there. Yep, I'm, yep. I'm yep. like, I'm only seeing myself. No, I don't no we, we put you out front here, girl. Keep, keep talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I asked, I, I to make a, made it a point to, to make sure my dad listened to me and said, there is abuse. There was abuse in our home and it's, and it's, it's hurting other people and we need to start hurt, stop hurting other people. And my dad, he's a therapist. He is a marriage and family therapist. Um, and he, he told me that the cycle was hard to break and that I needed to forgive my mother and 
that he would take care of things. He said that mm. my two brothers were in no position to bring any women into their lives right now, but he would take care of it. And mm. that I needed to work on forgiving my mom. And, and I did. That was mm. what I was going to do. But within days, the smear campaign against me started. And, From, then, and where did that come? Did, she, did he confide then in your mother? And then, so then it was like, because, so do you, I want to make sure that I understand. Do you feel as though your father was also abused by this narcissistic mother and she had a power over him as well? So, mm -hmm. and he loved her and he's the wife and the mother of his nine, 10 children. Um, so he was protecting her. Um, that's what I thought initially, you know, because okay. my dad was my hero. Yeah. That's what I thought initially. And that was the, my theory, I guess. And I think they just, they, they had a terrible marriage. Yes. I think my dad was afraid of my mom. Okay. Um, I do, but my dad is not a good man. Okay. And I learned that I learned a lot of things in the last year. I've, I've learned that he too is, is a, he has done a lot of terrible things. And so, so the smear campaign came from both of them as a, as yeah, a, um, it was just, it was un, unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I mean, it just, it just all of a sudden six of my siblings were, I just saying, don't talk to, don't talk to Ari. Don't talk to her. Um, she doing the same thing they did to my sister-in-law block her. She's, she's saying things. I wasn't saying anything. I'd only just talked to my dad. I think I, I confided in a younger sister and that was, I didn't know she wasn't safe. Um, and it just all just kind of like it just spiraled it just you know my parents they got into my facebook account i had uh, yeah i opened up to a just a friend about some abuse because she she was having some struggles we just kind of had a little and it was so brief and my parents might had gotten into face my facebook account and i found that out through it just was kind of a fluke thing that i and i confronted them and they admitted it, but then blamed it on me. Um, wow. So did they, did they make phone calls? Uh, did they, I mean, did they start the, the phone chain calling your siblings and saying, mm -hmm. this yeah. is what's happening. And, and they all went along with it. Mm -hmm. They all did. Yep. And, and then I started to, cause I was hearing things and none of it was true. None of the things that they were just saying that I was, I don't know. It was just really stupid things, but they were even saying that I was going against the church or that I had a, cause I had empathized with the sister who left the church and I just listened to her, but I wasn't oh. even, I didn't have any questions about the church at that okay. point. So you, so they, the fact it wasn't just that they got a divorce and that she couldn't handle the, uh, the emotional abuse, but she also left the church. Mm -hmm. And then, so the, the fact that you were loving her and, and trying mm -hmm. to find empathy for her and support her. Yeah that's not okay either because, because she mm -hmm. left the church. Yeah. Do well, that you, was, yeah. Go ahead, Liz. You go ahead. Ari, Ari, do you think this was, do you think your mother, this, her decisions were in her control? Do you think it was based on fear? Like, was she a, a huge believer and highly invested in the church mm -hmm. or did she use it as a tool to be controlling? All of the things. All of those things. And was she was she uh, in any positions of authority? Was there a face for your family in the ward? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were a prevalent family. Mm -hmm. Very. Um, yeah. In the town I grew up, we're, we're essentially Mormon Kennedys in that family. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. very, very much. Yeah. Everybody knew us in that small town. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of sad. This is very vindictive of me and, and probably says more about me than I should uh, reveal to the world. But as I've watched people my age that that we raised our children together and, and we would go to church together and we would hang out together. And there's always those obnoxious people that uh, like we had, a, we had a family in our ward that every single fast and testimony, this guy got up every, every week. And my family's so great. And my, my family and this is, we do this and we read our scriptures and blah, blah, blah. But because I was really good friends with the wife, I'm like, that's not true. I mean, I knew that in my head, you know, but there was this facade that there was even one time where one of the daughters went to girls camp and then, you know, how all the little girls have to bear their testimony when they get back from girls camp. And so they were all bearing their testimony and she got up and bore her testimony. And then she went and sat down. She realized she had not thanked her father. So she had to get back up again and go up to the pulpit and say, and I'm really grateful for my dad and everything, you know, and I was just like, Oh, oh, this dear. is so, so it's fun as an older person now because I've watched these perfect families have experiences like with you, members of their family that have gone inactive, members of their family that, you know, got pregnant out of wedlock. They're so perfect mm -hmm. little family, you know. And you just kind of sit back and go, Yeah, we're none of us are perfect, you know. You know but what, so, Renee? I don't think that says anything bad about you. It's being honest. And I've always in within myself, I've always thought there's we're, we've got to be all the same somehow. You know, we're all God's creations. We're all God's children. Yeah. And, you know, people feel better when we know we're more alike. When we're more human. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, we're isn't that like that's a baptismal covenant from the time we're eight or whatever, bear one another's burdens. Right. And but for a narcissist, like you were, I'm sorry, Trish, yeah. for a narcissist, that is dynamite to have anything exposed of an un. It's such an, you know, interesting mindset for a narcissistic because it's all about the facade. It's all about what they look like. So well, out I of the nine, the 10 children, you had a sister, that um, committed suicide. You have two brothers that got divorced. Have they remarried? I oh, know no, you've been blocked. That's right. You're mm -hmm. not part of the in, in crowd anymore. Okay, so we're down. We're down three, uh, four counting you. So um, we've got six left. You don't know where everybody is. Well, the two brothers who got divorced, they're still in. They are okay, in the still family. Back, but you don't know if they've gotten remarried. They are in the family because okay. they. They, did, they got rid of the bad ones, and so they're they're in the family. But I have two brothers. I have one brother who was discarded around the same time I was for oh. other reasons, and I have an older brother who um, was essentially kicked out in high school. Oh, um, he's he was also you know usually in like a family of three kids, you, narcissistic family of three kids, you might have one scapegoat. When yeah. you have ten kids, you probably have three or four. Yeah, <laughs> so, gotta do that percentage thing. Yeah, yeah it's. So I've got an older brother who we were told to hate, just like me. We were mm -hmm. told stories about him, like he was this, like had stolen money and all of these things. Right. And we were, we were told to hate him. And that was one of my major family shelf items was I asked him, I'm like, did you steal this money? He's like, no, you know, and it was, I, yeah, it wasn't, I lived a lie. My, my parents lied about their children, just scapegoated all their financial issues 
my brother was the financial issue scapegoat. I was oh. the, <laughs> I was a not oh. not as faithful in the church, not as faithful to my parents scapegoat. Right. I was the one that caused all of their emotional problems. Okay. You know, and and so you know, one of the hardest things that you mentioned in one of your posts on Instagram, which by the way, I want to tell people her Instagram is her dot um her her dot truth dot be is it told or be told one yeah word. there's dots in between each word okay so her dot b dot her, yeah. her dot truth dot be dot told so find her because she mentioned that it's not and this is the thing that people don't understand it's not just you and your mom and dad it's not just you and your brothers and sisters obviously with 10 children how many grandchildren do we have in this family in your family Oh gosh, over close to 30 right now. And only there's several who don't even have kids yet. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. So yeah, because it's that you, you mentioned in one of your posts on Instagram about the cousins that your son was like, I, I love my cousins. We had great times. We did great things. And now they've been kicked out as well. That's, mm -hmm. that yeah. is just my, my kids, you know, they were close to my brothers because my youngest brother was three and a half when my when my oldest son was born. Okay. And so they're very they were very close. And then I have a sister similar to my age, and and they they have kids, and we were we are, we are out. They have lost cousins. They have lost uncles. They have lost aunts. It's it's a divorce. Yeah. Without, yeah. You know, and with zero closure, you're you're kicked out. Isn't that Sorry. No, go ahead, Liz. Go ahead. Isn't that interesting? Because this we're, they tell us from the pulpit, um, families are forever, you mm -hmm. know, but it's only if you do what they say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do believe that families are forever, but not definitely not this Mormon family. Right. No. And it's wow. it's so dumb because they're some of the greatest um dividers and uh you know, they create outcasts and pariahs at every turn. Well, and exactly. And Trish, what were you going to say when I interrupted you? I'm sorry, you were going to ask something. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just going to say how interesting it was that um, it's very similar to the church where we look on the outside for people to to fight against, right? So, uh -huh. so if you're in the church and doing what you should, then, then you're in the in-group, like, like in your family mm -hmm. and those people who are either starting to leave the church or those who are outside the church, um, we, they're scary and you have to stay away from them and you have to mm. keep them at arm's length. And, and I feel that same thing happening, you know, in your family where keep them at arm's length because you don't, and really they act like it's trying to keep us safe, but really what it's doing is it's keeping you from learning the truth. Mm -hmm. right. It's keeping their narrative alive because in the church, you've got the prophet, the seers, you know, the people who see things and the ones who they're basically just the ones who control the narrative. And as long as they can keep you in and not asking the outsiders. And if you can paint, if you can see the outsiders of the way they want you to see them, then you're inside. You're, you're fine. You're, you're in their little bubble. And it's the same as my family. My mom and my, and my dad, they're the seers of the family. They're the ones who control the narrative. And if they can make me look bad, if they can make my brother look bad, my aunts, my uncles, everybody, in which they did gossip and make up narratives and all of these things, 
they keep your eyes on them. And they're there. You know, my parents always say, follow our lead, follow our lead, follow the prophet. It, yeah. it kept us in. And because yeah. everybody else is scary. And, and the thing is, is you see what happens to the ones who lead. Mm-hmm. They don't have what we have. They don't have our family. They're missing mm-hmm. out. I, yes, I'm missing out on a family. Right. But it's not my fault. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And it's no, so it's, it's so funny because there's there's so many podcasts out there. And one of the there's a predominant narrative out there that I hear about the um, obedience, and it it sounds so benign to say that you need to be obedient. You will find happiness through obedience. Um, but just like the musket fire claim from yeah. from Jeffrey Holland, when you have a strong narrative of obedience, 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 then you can. St- that so easily slips over to the, we will now disengage with you entirely because you are not obedient. And so it's so easy. I mean, where is just the love one another? Like I was telling Trish and Trish and uh, Liz, I was telling Ari before that I am one of these rebel rousers who refuses to use the word church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they are not the church of Jesus Christ. I because, can't use it either, Renee. No, I'm sorry. Jesus, none of the teachings of Jesus Christ are told mm-hmm. over the pulpit. And one of the teachings of Jesus Christ never said was you need to be obedient. Obedience was never one of his teachings. It was love. It was be kind and try and just anyway. So the uh, this whole idea of obedience, which that is Dr. Nelson's, that is his his token word. He is going to use that word. Truth is truth. Obedience is the way, you know, if you're not obedient. And so you can take somebody with a, some kind of a clinic clinical disorder like narcissism and you take that word. It's just like the musket fire thing. Yeah. Anybody with any kind of a, a neurotypical brain is going to go, I get the, I get the analogy. I get the, the, what you're trying to say here, you know, but anybody that it's a little bit off, is going to take that and here's something completely different. So your parents took the obedience to that level. We will well, not then the church came out with exact obedience. Right. Just a few years ago, I remember when I can't remember who gave the talk. I believe it was a conference talk and they came out with exact obedience. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I think it was Dr. Nelson. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I think it was one of his. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that it just shows how completely damaging. And I think what you're if you were to say to an active LDS believer, if you were to say, um, man, what do you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses um, of shunning family members that leave? They would go, I know that's sad. I mean, my family is everything. I, I don't know what I'd do without my family. I can't imagine people that would shun their family. Then you could say, oh, well, my family completely shunned me. Oh, well, I mean, that's a different story. We have you know, <laughs> truth and we have, you know. That's, so your, it's that's like, a you problem. That's your fault. You need to get back on the path. <laughs> they're not doing it. It's you. You've walked away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a completely different narrative that they're talking yeah. about. So that that's just... That's so sad. I'm so sorry that that's your story. But I love that you have become vocal. I love that you are now saying, not only am I not putting up with this anymore, I am going to tell the world my story so that somehow maybe I can help someone else for them to do what you did, which is to sit back and say, oh, this wasn't me. This isn't me. This isn't a, this isn't a my problem. 
And yeah, I, you know, and it was hard, you know, because, you know, I, I was encouraged by my therapist to write my story. And I was, I, I wrote it completely anonymously. I just started bits, bit by bit. And I didn't start following people. I was just writing it. And, and it was public because I was like, you know, maybe if I get like 10 or five other people who I can just, you know, converse with or whatever. But there were a lot of people, a lot of people mm -hmm. who had, and it just kind of people shared. And I don't have like a huge following. I like have under a thousand, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I started it about six months ago. But yeah, I, I thought it was, you know, important for me because I am a writer. I am mm -hmm. like, I'm a, that's, that's the way I communicate better. And, and that's where I get into that higher self for me. And, and it helps me to deconstruct a little bit and, and it wasn't kind of even therapeutic for me because I don't know if you've heard of the therapy EMDR. Yeah. Um, and I was doing that in therapy and this for that concept is what this is, was where I, I get my train of thought goes and I write a quick little post about what happened. And then that is the safe place for that post to land for that experience mm -hmm. to land. It's, it's there. It's no longer here. It's there. It's okay. there and, and, and it has a place where it can't hurt me anymore. Wow. Okay. That's, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about Trish. I want you to talk about a little bit, maybe some coping skills, because it's one thing to define the problem. We've now defined the problem. We've now recognized, which is the first step is recognize that there was abuse. I am in a, an abusive relationship. I will now acknowledge that. And then the next step is what are my coping skills or what is my escape plan? So Trish, did you find anything about some coping skills that, and, and share sure. with Ari that you guys could talk about? Well, the first thing I thought was interesting was um, one of the websites that I think you had sent it was through Psych Central. And um, one thing I thought we, we should kind of bring out was some of the um, things that you can see in yourself when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship. And I love, so Ari, I'm sure I'm going to read this list and I'm sure that most of them, if not all of them would apply to you from your family. But I also think we should think about how many of these apply to as an abusive relationship. So mm -hmm. this list is anxiety, depression, feeling like you're going crazy, insecurity, lack of self-esteem, low self-esteem or self-worth, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and self-blame. You already talked about so many of those. So how, do you identify with those? Yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Yeah. And I'm, as I read through it when I was doing this little bit of research, I was surprised how many of those applied to me that I think I could go back to the church. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. uh, as, yeah. as the abuser. For sure. Huh? Mm -hmm. These things made me feel good enough. And <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are you still there? I think it's my Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I don't see so, it. Yeah, uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, no, go ahead. So so I would love to hear from you, Ari. So what do you feel like you've done? So you, you shared your writing, and I love that you um, shared that. I'm actually also a writer, and some of the things that's helped me in my life has been writing. And in fact, um, I'm a high school teacher, and I have 
um, tried to get my kids to do the same thing. My students, I say my kids, um, <laughs> when they're going through something bad is writing. So, um, and obviously getting help, you know, professional help is always a good thing to do. Um, what other things do you think RE people should look for? Um, to help them heal is what you're asking. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, all of those things, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert on it. I'm still, I still have a lot of wounds. I'll be honest. Yeah. I still do. I'm, you know, so, but I have, I have therapy and I have, you know, I, I run, <laughs> you know, it's that fight or flight response for me too. Is like, I can't, I just got to do physically escape right now. Yeah. And, and I, Thankfully, I have a husband who's supportive in that. I mean, I don't go very far. I used to, but now it's just like, even if I'm gone 30 minutes, I get out. I, I do that. And I and I have, you know, I, awesome. you know, having a community too, writing and having somebody, you know, having friends because you lose when, when I was telling my husband just yesterday is, you know, I don't have parents. I don't have siblings. I don't have a church community. I lost my community. I lost it all. I mean, yeah. I have him and I have my children, but you need to have, it's healthy to have relationships outside of your family. It is. Right. It and, is. and so I have, you know, friends um, who I can talk to about this and also like, you know, who, in, who are good enough to, when I don't want to talk about it, I don't have to talk about it. Oh, you know, amazing. you know, those I types, do. Yeah. I find it interesting that you went through this, um, through the pandemic, I think there's a lot of us who ended up kind of leaving the church and everything during the pandemic. And what a weird time because we were so isolated. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a, a double hit in that would we have gone through it if we weren't isolated? But at the same time, now we're going through it without a support system. Yeah. And so I think you're right in that we have to reach out and create our own support system with people that we can trust. And I think that's the big thing is not staying isolated and, and by ourselves going through these yeah. kinds of things. Right. Yeah. Did you find, Ari, did you find friends um, outside of the church or are there still, or are some of these friends that are giving you a new community, are they inside the church, but they're willing to listen and I have all of them, you oh, know, because okay. I, I have a few friends who, um, have been my friends oh. before, you know, right. I don't have very many, but I have, no. and I, I have a couple who I've been able to be honest with, you know, I, I have, there's some things I can't say to them because, you know, I don't want to be a shelf breaker for them, which is crazy because this is like fire, fire, it's fire. You know, you're oh, in a, I know. I know. but then you're just like, but it's not, this is not my spiritual journey. It's not mine. And it wouldn't help my relationship to like, end up, let them know all of the things but they've been emotionally there with my you know understanding my situation with my family and they know i've left the church and That's stuff amazing. and i hope that you they're know, not even being warned that, about you nobody's saying you better stop going for well, a run with and ari to be honest the <laughs> pandemic kind of saved us oh yeah that's we true moved during it um we, we moved to another neighborhood during the pandemic and so there was no church and we, we got, we knew some people and we only went a few times, like when it started to open up again, but mm -hmm. it just was such a dark place. Like when I would go there and I would fight with my kids to get there and we'd be there and like, I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I don't like it here. <laughs> they don't yeah. like it here. And yeah. nobody talks about that, how, 
you know, it's obviously a lot of times you're, you're yelling and screaming at your kids to go to church. (laughs) And that, isn't that funny? Because that that brings me to the other subject that I wanted to talk about was, and Liz, you were going to talk a little bit about this idea of righteous anger. Like people talk about anger, anger in the church. And I know I I follow, I wanted to recommend another uh, TikToker that I found that I just love. And her TikTok handle is uh, Mormonism Revisited. And she is angry and I love it because it's not, it's not uh, without reason. And people forget that there, the the term righteous anger, when people would say, well, there was righteous anger. Um, Jesus had righteous anger. And so a lot of the things will say, why are you so angry? People that leave the church, why are you so angry? You know, and I'm, so Liz, you were going to talk a little bit about some examples of kind of righteous anger and, and what the good that that does. Well, <clears throat> I think those of us that grow up in these large Mormon families, sometimes you lose your voice because there's so many children. And I, you know, I can see that in my own family of eight. I came from a family of eight. Um, so, you know, when I left home at 17, I graduated early and I had to find my voice and I have learned, you know, I'm a fighter. I, I had to, no one had my back. Um, not that I, I had, I had good parents, you know, whatever, but, um, I didn't necessarily have anyone to stick up for me. And so I've kind of evolved into this person that not only am I going to stick up for myself, I'm, I'm going to use my angry voice to, for somebody else that might not be able to express their anger. Does that make sense? Right. There's people that will come to me and I'm like, you know, yes, that's okay. Let it Mm -hmm. out. You know, be angry that, you know, somebody inappropriately touched you in your family or at church right or if you were smacked around on sunday morning or you know and we're all here learning and i i get really angry when people can't face facts right i mean in this day and age you know when if you really want to know the facts you can see it in the journals of the pioneers you can see it in the journal of discourses or letters and in their own handwriting, there's no, you know, and I, when people call me a liar, which thoroughly upsets me because I, I usually vet if I say something or I post something I have, I've pretty, I've done the work. Yes. I've done the work and, um, it, you know, I, I have lost family and friends because of my voice mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm a little different. I, I have a much smaller circle of people that I trust and that I go to, but I have to have people, I can't be restrained. If I have the friends that I have left and the, <laughs> and the siblings that I have left, if they're going to bear their testimony to me or their thoughts, I'm going to be exacted that same right, or we're not going to have a relationship because um, I 
refused to be quiet. I couldn't be quiet if I tried. <laughs> well, and Ari, I the thing I love about you is you don't strike me as a what people would define as an angry person. Your your personality, your voice, you've described yourself as an empath and I I feel like I can hear that. So I don't see you as someone like you know, Liz and I are probably a little bit more alike. And we like, need both. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not putting, I don't see that in you. So how would you describe your, your, the way you display anger? Well, that anger is the emotion I suppress the most. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that I don't have it because I do. And, and the anger is, is not bad. And that's, and and I, I honestly, each time I've gotten angry, it has caused a change. Oh, um, exactly. And it has, and I'm grateful for the times that I have found that angry voice. Mm -hmm. um, because when I learned about lies, I was angry. Yes. I will not be lied to. And right. that was, that was betraying. And I here, I was trying to fit into a family. I was trying to fit into a system. I was trying to become, but they were telling me to become this image, this perfect mother, this perfect wife, this perfect, you know, dress the part, act the part, be the part. I was doing all of the things. And when I didn't get that respect back, when I learned that I was lied to, I was like, hell no. Yeah. I am not going to be part of that. And I did have an angry voice. And I was like, yes. oh. and that's the thing that turned off my parents was, oh, she's being angry. She doesn't have the spirit with her. It's like, no, I'm mad. I'm justifiably mad. <laughs> my mom, hugged, she hung up on me when I, the last time that I spoke to her was in June, 2021, when I confronted her on lies. Wow. And I was, I, I was mad. I was sorry. very mad. <laughs> so I here it is. It, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I call it graduating from religion mm -hmm. from or graduating from Mormon culture. Because mm -hmm. we're doing better when we know better. Who is mm -hmm. the lady that said that? Maya Angelou. When you know better, you do better. And it, right. it has just enhanced my confidence mm -hmm. so much that when somebody comes after me about religion or our culture, as far as Mormonism, I'm, I'm just like, I am so well armed, you know? Well, and and not only that, but I, I think what Ari is bringing up, and I think all, all four of us have said the exact same thing. It's not something as simple as we don't like the word of wisdom. You know, I, I don't want to drink a 32 ounce diet Coke. I'd rather have a four ounce, uh, natural bean that's grown from, you know, not made in the yeah. laboratory. All right. I'm going to have a, a chai tea or whatever. Um, that that's not what drives people to go. And I will now throw my entire family away because I love chai tea. You know, that's not where we're going here, but right. I, I, I see the, it's the, if any of you are tuned in and again, I'm going to, I'm going to hail another fabulous podcast, Nemo, the Mormon and mm. the, what he's done and his entire his entire message is, please stop lying. Mm -hmm. Here is the evidence of all of the lies that you've told. And that, that's exactly it. Like I've, I've mentioned this and Ari, I don't know. It doesn't sound to me like it was even a, a doctrinal thing necessarily that, that it was the abuse and the narcissism that led you. Is that correct? Am I, am I evaluating that correctly? Well, it wasn't like you were happy in this great family and you read the CES letter. 
Well, that I did read the CSO. Yeah. And the thing is, like that when when I learned that my family wasn't what it said it was, and I and I haven't even gotten to my dad. He's worse than my mom. He did not abuse me. But I learned, and this is a, we don't have time for this, but he abused his clients. Oh, and I learned that. Right. And so, but when I learned that my parents were not who they said they were, they they did all of the things that the church said to do. I was like, uh-uh, I do not need to obey you. And I am going to ask the questions that I need to ask. The things but, I so have. that was the catalyst to, mm-hmm. I'm going to start looking into mm-hmm what else is untrue about this whole right. thing? And, and the crazy thing is like, I have a sister who was saying, well, she's, she has questions of church about church history and that's what she's having. And I really, I had nothing. I was more or less, you guys are discarding people because they believe differently than you are. I, I had no questions about church history. Honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't care. Right. I didn't care. Like that was not my shelf. That was like, let wow. people be people. And yeah. so, but when they kept putting that on me, like, oh, she thinks, you know, it must be church history. Or it must be like, well, I'm going to look now. You keep oh. saying that. I'm going to look now. Because I had no idea. Like I read the Saints volume one. I think I read a couple of the, the essays, but I was reading them with an, like an apologist mind. I was like, oh, that doesn't matter to me. But then when I finally, I was like, well, I'm going to read it. And I read all of the essays in one day. I wrote Book of Abraham. I was like, I remember seeing in the car. I was like, I'm going to melt through the bottom of this car. <laughs> I was like, this is not okay. And then I read the CS letter in one day. And I am a journalist. I'm a researcher. And I went to all of the footnotes, everything. And I was like, mm, it's not true. It's not true. Even lied mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. I, I, I was not quiet about it. Like I was loud in the house. I was like, I told my husband, I said, it's not true. It is not true. And I and told where was he people, at? Where was he at when you were doing all this? Was he just um, kind of. Well, he was what you would call kind of a Jack Mormon. Like mm-hmm. he, he was such, he's so good. Like he had questions, but I didn't let him have any questions. Like I was oh. like, no, don't look, don't look. And, <laughs> and finally, you know, you know, he's been deconstructing as he goes and stuff, but, um, he was just kind of like along for the ride. And then when I when I told him I didn't want to go to church, he's like, no, oh, I didn't want to go either. <laughs> so. You know what's funny? Just a side note. I don't think people recognize the, the pressure that is put on men. I remember uh, being in primary and they had brought in um, the bishopric. And they played this little game where they put the bishopric behind the chalkboard. So all you could see were their legs. Mm-hmm. And then they would ask the bishopric questions. And the kids all had to guess, who is it? Who is it? You know, every single one of them, where did you go on your mission? Um, mm-hmm. Everything was related to their, their mission or some other position of authority that they had held. And all I could think about were my boys who I was dragging to church and, you know, or had dragged to church and none of them served missions. And I thought, and even, even one of my son-in-laws, every single time these men who did not serve a mission for one reason or another go to church, that's all they hear about. The man is freaking 85 years old and he's talking about his mission. I'm like, have you done nothing else in the last 60 years that, you, that made that big of a thing in your life? And so when these men hear that, how can they, it's, it's like you were talking about with the sister with infertility. How many times do you sit in a congregation and hear this before you go, I can't, I'm not welcome here. This mm-hmm. is not for me. I'm not accepted. I will never be complete here. Yeah. 
But then the church does like they gaslight you after that. And they say, like with my sister-in-law not being fertile, well, maybe you can adopt or maybe you'll have children in heaven or you'll have like, you know, and they, they, you know, just all of these little things that you have questions, they, they change the narrative on you and they make it be you. Like, you know, if you have a problem with women in the priesthood, well, you, you, you do have it. You know, you're a supportive role. You do have it. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, thank you for bringing that up because I think that is one of the biggest examples of gaslight. That was the first time when I started looking at at Dr. Nelson and I went, I'm I'm listening to conference. Let me just give you a quote here. It's funny you would bring that up. Mm -hmm. October conference 2020, he says over the pulpit, the heavens are just as open to women who are endowed with God's power flowing from their priesthood covenants as they are to men who bear the priesthood. And I remember right then going, wait, what? what, what what's happening here? I, I've never heard that before. What are we talking about? Well, I don't have the priesthood. What do you mean? What, you know? And it was given in such a condescending way, like, I've told you for years you have the priesthood. What is wrong with you? Of course you have the priesthood. And then... The next, then we have the policy change where women can now be witnesses for baptisms or in the temple. And I thought, okay, okay. So then the next grandchild that got baptized, I got to be a witness. And I'm like, well, they've given women. Now I'm I'm thinking adult women who have been endowed now have the ability to be a witness, right? I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, well, that's a good thing. That was really nice. Yes, it's so phenomenal. (laughs) Well, then the next year, I have another grandchild that gets baptized and guess who the witnesses were her two 12 year old cousins. And I didn't realize that that at that time, that policy change was given to women and children. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so we're children. We're, we are the same as a 12 year old. That's, and I was just like, why is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody going, excuse me, I am an adult woman who has, like you said, served as a Relief Society teacher, president, whatever, young women's. I have been a leader of these children, but now we're all on the same level. Why is that not a problem for anybody? So it's so funny. That was my perfect example of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. You just start going, am I nuts? Did mm-hmm. I not, Did I miss something? Yeah. yeah, but then you're taught that it's like it's new and wonderful re- revelation and that the prophet is so inspired. You're like, he's so far behind the times. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Like, this yeah. is not inspiration. Yeah. And the whole like blacks in the priesthood and all of these things, it came way after the time. No, mm-hmm. you're doing this because you're losing members and right. you are losing like you're you're losing money. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, you are. You're you're. You know, so it's nothing to do with inspiration. So to, to wrap this all up then with the, with the, you know, the different things that we've talked about as far as things, I think we've talked about like Ari, you brought up almost everything on the list. You talked about isolation, keeping this family close knit. We're all going to stay together. Nobody's talking. We're going to, you know, this is all, we all work for the Pentagon. It's not going to get out. So you've got isolation. You've got love bombing. That mm-hmm. is so prevalent in the church. They stand up over the pulpit. They talk about, we love you, dear sisters. We need to hear your voice. You know, you're so important. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then they, which is another form. And then exactly what you were saying as a mother of nine um, and coming from a 10, it, it's the pedestaling. Mm-hmm. 
They put you on this pedestal, but look at you, look at you. You're a mother. That is the role that God has given you. So then you start going, oh, I guess I should like this more than I do because I'm getting a little overwhelmed here, you know? Mm -hmm. So you've got love bombing. You've got um, the emotional abuse also comes from exactly what you said, Ari. Um, your mother is was basically overwhelmed. Not Basically, she had a narcissistic personality disorder, but she was also overwhelmed with this facade that she was told she had to put on Saturday's mm -hmm. Warriors. And so she's left. She's abandoned. Your dad's probably he he had to complete his education. He's now working. He's out of the home. She's in the home with 10 kids by herself. She's going crazy. And so there's emotional abuse like that. You have the isolation. You have the self-confidence. And you talked about that. Look, look at the self-confidence that you were that was chipped away from you because you were the problem. Mm -hmm. It's all yeah. your fault. I had really low. I mean, I would, I would gaslight myself with, with everything. Yeah. So all of those things. And I still struggle with a lot of those things. And it's, it's hard, you know, cause I want to see my parents as human. I want yeah. to see them because I want to accept their frailties. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and I know that they have, but at the same time, there's got to come a point where you, and you're a cycle breaker where you're exactly. just like, everybody's doing the same thing and I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Well, not only that, but you're, it's dangerous because you have children. Mm -hmm. and, and and the idea that those children could be in your parents' home and mm -hmm. start getting that kind of gaslighting and that kind of narrative yeah. being told, your mother is this, your mother is that, your mother broke up our family. I had to put some bound, I had to set some clear boundaries with my children. Um, and, that, and that kind of set things on them. But yeah, I've got to protect them. And it's right. so hard because it feels like I'm doing the same thing. Where I, you know, and it's like, oh, it makes it's kind of a, a difficult thing, but I'm not, you know, yeah, my children, I, I'm not molding them to be me. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm so excited to see, to meet them. It's such you know? a, it's such a misunderstanding that people think that children come to you and that it's your responsibility to mold them into these humans because they came the way they are with their own yeah. little personalities and they're teachers. You know, we're, we're not teaching them anything. They're teaching us. Right. Oh, and, the, and you learn that what unconditional love is from these feisty little people that came with their own personalities that you're like, okay, I didn't know that existed, but let's, you know, let's learn from that. So Trish, close us up now, bring us to the end with, let's just go, be, go over. Be, we don't want to leave anybody in, in a, a mess laying on a pool of tears on their bathroom floor. So and it's the, the coping skills, Ari's got a therapist. She's writing and she's got, she's doing the EMDR therapy. Um, what are, is there anything else that you, we need to, remind people or give people tools to use? Yeah, I think it is important too to build a good support system around you. So reaching out and asking for help when needed. And I think what goes along with that is being honest with people around you. If you are struggling, if you, um, you know, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, if you are feeling that you're going to hurt yourself, if you feel like you're going to hurt others, that you need to be honest and you need to reach out and, and tell people because um, that's the only way you're going to get help. And so I think um, we need to be careful that we don't just sit home and um, think it's going to get better on its own because it won't. So we need to reach out and, and uh, get help when we need it. And I would say that's the biggest thing that I would want to leave with is 
help is there for us. And if you are struggling, get that help because um, we can't do it on our own as much as we think we can, because mm -hmm. we, we think we're strong enough to do everything on our own, but that's why we have communities. That's right. And, and, you know, even when you've got a loving partner, you know, Ari has a husband that supports her and they've got a long relationship. They've got a lot of years behind them. Um, you, she still needs that outside. And I think that's so something that we all need to remember that this whole idea that you've got a girlfriend, you've got a best friend that it, that's absolutely necessary, but I agree. professional help is so important. And sometimes, you know, it's like shopping for a doctor in any other area of your health care. You might have to go through two or three. Did you find that, Ari? Did you start out I with did. the one? Tell yeah, I did. I went to one because I, yeah, I went to one that was not okay. Like at first I, I felt like I was talking to my dad and, oh. and it was red flags everywhere. And I was like, you're just like him and I'm not coming back. Good for you. And I will not go to a religious therapist of any so sort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. And, and honestly, my therapist, she's actually a member of the church and I didn't, she's not religious when she was just there and she's been, she's been really good. Actually. She doesn't, I, I've set some boundaries with her because in the beginning, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I've let, and I'm, if find a, find a therapist you can be honest with. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I been she's been really, really good. Really, right. really good. So. Right. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so important to what I what I love the most about your story was the fact that it wasn't just like you say it wasn't just historical truths that brought you down it was a complete relationship and in in the complete psychic um, system that's been set up to train people to indoctrinate people and that just led from one thing to another and to recognize but I really appreciate you sharing your personal story. And, and, uh, I, I'm just going to be, you know, obnoxious and following you on Instagram and making well, comments. So I'm sorry. That's, well, thank you. Know, you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I write when I feel like it and I, and I appreciate it. It's been very therapeutic for me. So that's excellent. Thank that's you. Excellent. I appreciate the community that yeah, well, there. Keep, up, keep, keep up the sharing because we need that. And, and I loved, I love hearing your, your voice on some other um, accounts that are on there when you didn't necessarily agree. You're like, well, I don't know if that's really the best thing, you know, and you did it in such a, a an adult uh, way. And then I loved that. It wasn't, it wasn't angry. It wasn't um, uh, hyperbolic or anything like that. It was just very like, I don't know if I agree with that. And, and I think we all, we all with our own confirmation bias, we're all going to be continually wondering. And those of us that have um, now you guys all three of you are blessed with spouses that have also left the church, but I unfortunately have a wonderful, obedient, true believing Mormon husband. And it, it does blow my mind when people hear the, like if you were to say to someone now, you know, no, it, never mind. It doesn't even matter because it's, it's like you said, it's like you're a liar. You're a liar. That's not true. If you say President Nelson's little plane story is a lie. It didn't really happen. That's <laughs> not true. I read that. I was like, no. I know. <laughs> it's like, that's not true. He would never lie. That's not true. You're just angry. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not an airplane specialist, but these no, people but here's were. Here's the data. Here's what actually happened. Yeah. Here's yeah. Here's and for people to sit, like I said, for people to sit in the back of the, the the chapel with their arms folded and their furrowed brows and their 
angry <laughs> purse lips. And I'm like, I'm going, I don't believe this. I don't like this patriarchy. I don't like that talk that was just given. I'll be here next week. Yes. And I support you. Absolutely. I can't, I'm not, I can't do that. The three of us couldn't do that. Some people can bless their hearts. But bless you say. for, you know, supporting your husband and in, in his yeah. journey as well. Cause yeah, I imagine that's very hard. It, it, it's hard, but you know, he puts up with my little sarcastic. He, he, you know, want to hear you guys, I'm going to close with a funny story. So our son is in the hospital right now. He's going through some stuff. So he and I are tag teaming, staying with him. And so I was at the hospital and, and the, um, uh, the missionaries had said to him last Sunday, would it be okay if we came over to the house and shared a message with you? And of course, he doesn't tell me any of this until he says, well, while you're up at the hospital, I'm going to have the missionaries over on Wednesday night. I said, you don't want me here because I have a message I can share. And he's like, no, I don't want you here. You know, So that's kind of, he puts up with my sarcasm and I, he's, you know, and I just put up with his wonderfulness. So that's just a good thing. And that's how good marriages work. Mm -hmm. That's right. You have to agree on everything. Exactly. Communication. Exactly. Ooh, it's tough, but yeah. Well, thank you guys. It's been wonderful. I love my Sabbath day. I'm going to start singing that, you know, Sabbath morning, whatever the song is, that this is how we gather and we share our, our good news. So I love yes. it. All right. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Ari. And Bye. Uh, we might have to have a She Became Visible party in Arizona at some point. So Ooh, yes. let's put that on when, when you guys are all. Ari, I forget. Are you are you located in a cold climate with snow? I am. But guess what? My shoulders will be born if it had been hidden for so many years. I don't care if it's December. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, I know it's a cliche, all of us ex-Mormon women in our tank tops, but that's exactly what it is. It's like, dang it, I've been five layers of down east covering these shoulders up for, you know, 45 years and I ain't doing it anymore. I know, they need to speak too. That's they right. You need, to, yeah. need to have a voice, these shoulders of mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a cold climate, but I'm inside. So like there you go. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate your input. We'll talk next week. And by the way, next week for all of you, um, well, I'll give a little pre thing. Anyway, I'll let you guys get back to your families. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. So everyone, next week, we're going to be talking about the, some of the Christmas stories or some of the traditions and um, things that we have picked up. And where did we pick up? Why do we have a Christmas tree? Why do we have a dead tree in our living room. And why do we use that as a symbol of um, our Christian belief? We're going to be talking about some of the symbols that we have. Why is there a star at the top? What is this December 25th thing? That's going to be our, our podcast next week. It's going to be fun. And, um, and then we're going to let you guys have a little break for the Christmas holiday. I'm sure family will be, uh, you know, jumping into our homes and uh, you may not want to listen to us on Sunday because I think Christmas is on Saturday this year. So it's going to be crazy. Anyway, so I look forward to hope you guys all join us next week when we discuss some of the fun traditions that we have and where they come from. So that's going to be lots of fun. So thank you so much for joining us on She Became Visible this week. And we will talk to all of you again next week. Bye bye. wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room.